0: I would say Jeremy Grant played an amazing beginning of the season. I haven't heard much of him recently. I don't know if that's just because I haven't been watching Pistons games or if he just hasn't been. To be honest, who has been watching
1: Pistons (laughs) games? Yeah. (laughs) It is wednesday april 28th at 9 40 p.m so that meant that there was no better time to gather three high school seniors to talk basketball we've got me satsinha william Aniol, and Rajan joshi how are you boys doing doing great
2: excited to talk hoops with you guys doing well just enjoying another season of nba basketball it's definitely been a different one, but oh, yeah. um, exciting. Me I mean, at this time, we didn't even have NBA basketball, so can't complain. As, yeah, I mean.
1: yeah, as we all are. Um, just as a quick agenda, we're going to go through a few things. Obviously, uh, some of these are going to change over the course of, of the season, but we're going to talk about end of season awards, the newly introduced plane tournament this year, and our thoughts on that. Uh, the upcoming free agency class, the draft, and maybe a little something for
0: the future. So uh, let's start with end-of-season awards, guys. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to start just talking about MVP. I know this is very controversial right now. Um, there's the people going for peop- someone like Steph Curry or Dame Lillard, and I get that. But I think, you know, Steph isn't even in the playoffs right now. I don't think you can really give it to him and, you know, Dame is doing his thing like he always does, but same thing there. Um, For me, it really boils down to the two centers, Joel Embiid and Jokic. And I mean, I see both sides the way I look at it. I think Joel is a better player, but Jokic is more valuable to his team. So I think you can look at it both ways. What do y'all think?
2: Yeah, this MVP race has really been pretty interesting all season long because at first you had like, LeBron um, clearly in the lead to begin the season, and everybody thought it was kind of LeBron's award to lose. Then, of course, he gets hurt, and so the focus kind of pivots to Embiid, uh, Joel Embiid, the center for the Philadelphia 76ers. And so he's playing very well, averaging like close to 30 points per game, but then he goes down with an injury, and so that kind of opens the door for Nick. Okich, the Denver Nuggets Center. And then so now um I mean basically he's kind of the consensus MVP as for now, at least. Um like in the betting markets, he's the clear favorite right now. And if I were voting for MVP, I would actually go with Joel Embiid. Um I was talking to Rajan about this actually earlier this week. Jokic's almost biggest selling point is the fact that like, he's played in every single game this season. Like That's kind of the first thing people point to when discussing him and his case for MVP. And I just think that that's kind of a weak case, at least for, to be like your number one selling point. And like, Joel Embiid, obviously, um, is having a fantastic season, best season in his career by far, offensively and defensively. And, um, his team's record when he doesn't play significantly worse, I think they're around like six and seven, somewhere around there. And so I definitely think that, um, especially in a, in a COVID season, I don't think we should penalize players as severely for missing games. And so fire voting, I definitely vote for Joel Embiid. So, yeah, I see your point and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Um,
0: I understand Joel Embiid playing out of his mind. I think he's averaging like 30 and 11, something like that. Um, But Jokic, the ball goes through him every possession. He doesn't have a Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris there to facilitate, especially with Jamal Murray out, and they haven't even missed a beat. So I think, yeah, he does have other weapons. Obviously, Aaron Gordon was an amazing trade. MPJ is just a killer. He's obviously going to get his own buckets, but... Everything on that team goes through Jokic, and I think that is what makes him the most valuable to his team. The disrespect for Facundo Campazzo is just absurd. Uh, I should have brought him up. Faku's actually one of my favorite players. So. Campazzo is just—I mean, he should be in the MVP
1: right now. I mean, I think, I think it's interesting that like Embiid was very much the front runner until he he had his tailbone injury or whatever it was. Yeah that knocked him out for, for, I'd say like five, five games, maybe something like that. Something like that. Yeah. I think it's interesting how just like once one kind of media narrative kind of fades away, the other one kind of gains steam. Yeah. I was wondering if like on a broader perspective, especially when it comes to like these end of season awards, a lot of it now with like social media and And having a bunch of people talking to each other, we get a lot more like consensus and like unanimous voting possibilities. I feel like, do you guys think that's like good for the league that we end up with like these 58 to twos
0: and stuff like that? Or do you think it's just uh, something we have to deal with? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I I don't think it's great for the league. I think, I mean, obviously, it's not like this is ruining the league, um, but it definitely isn't great. I think you see years like, for example, 2019, Giannis. The narrative for Giannis just ran away. He ran away with the MVP. It wasn't even close. Well, James Harden was averaging 37 points a game. I thought that was a little absurd. Um, I'm not saying Harden definitely should have won, but it should have been closer than it was for sure. Um, and I think there's just been years like that where you just don't see as big of a competition as it should should be. Everyone just kind of knows who is going to win the award, which I don't like.
2: Yeah, like Rajan, I also was very disappointed that James Harden didn't win that MVP in twenty nineteen. Um, definitely I think he was a victim of the media narrative that Sid is talking about. Uh Giannis kind of basically picked up the like media uh like I guess consensus. Everybody just kind of assumed that Giannis would be the MVP of the league when his team was the best team in the league and he's the best player on the best team in the league. Um, I definitely don't think the MVP should be an award that's just like strictly given to the best player on the best team in the NBA as that kind of had been the case for several years um, in the last decade. And so that was definitely frustrating. Um, I thought, Harden's case was clearly better. It was more of a an outlier season um, in terms of like the NBA's history. Like Roger said, averaging 37 points per game. I mean, come on. Like, is that not to win an MVP? And then something else that I think is kind of a, an interesting, interesting discussion with MVP is how like at what point or how much do you penalize players? in the MVP discussion for having other great players on their team. Like, for example, no one on those golden state warrior teams with Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, none of them were even going to be in the MVP conversation really because you're playing with like three other all-stars. And so, um, I think, I just think that's one of the things with MVP that you kind of have to sort out, like, yeah, I mean, of course if you take Steph Curry off those Warriors teams, like they're still gonna be one of the best teams in the NBA, but um that might not be fair, like to penalize someone just for playing on a really good team. And so that's another kind of interesting layer to this conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean I kinda I like to look at it literally, who's the most valuable player, so In Steph Curry's case, he might be one of the best players, right? But when you took him off those teams, they were still winning games, which I think shows he wasn't quite as valuable. Um, I think there's obviously, it goes both ways. You have to be valuable, but also be winning games. So, for example, Steph Curry, take him off this Warriors team, and they could be the 15th seed in the West, but they're still only the 10th seed. So, I don't really think that that's fair to give him the MVP this season. Um, But yeah, I, I think you have to. Be winning, but also be very valuable to your team. So, so here's
1: here's my argument for that. Then, if we're if we're going by your logic, Rajan, if we look at the Phoenix Suns last year, who went thirty-four and thirty-nine, and that's with their eight-game winning streak in the bubble, so 26-39 yeah. in the regular season, yeah. then they had Chris Paul, and now they're forty-three and eighteen. Yeah, I and mean, with a, with a largely similar team, shouldn't
0: Chris Paul then be in the MVP conversation? I totally get that. I think he's. I think. He could be top five for sure. My thing, I mean, especially after his Knicks game, I'm gonna put that out there. He destroyed the Knicks at the end of the game. It was embarrassing. But um, I mean, I totally get that. But my thing is, like you said, the Suns did go eight-no in the bubble. And I think more than anything else, it was you could see those players bought into Monty Williams as a coach and Mikhail Bridges as a starter when Kelly Ubre was hurt. Mikhail Bridges as a starter gained a lot of confidence going into that bubble. And that team was already poised for a playoff run, maybe not the two seed, but whether they had Chris Paul or not, I think they were going to make a playoff run. Um, mm-hmm. So I think if you take Chris Paul off of this team, they're still not exactly a terrible team compared to if you took Jokic off, I don't think they're even close to the playoffs.
1: Maybe Kelly the is a much
2: valuable player. Um, <laughs> okay. It's just um, it's sad that Luke Doncic can't really um, get into this conversation more than he is right now. Um, I think, like, if the Mavs were in the top four of the West, he'd be right there with a you lead. Know, um, because obviously, like, this season he improved his three point shooting drastically. And so, um, and he's averaging close to 30 points per game, um, just putting up absurd sat lines every single night. And without him, the Mavs. Uh, honestly, when it'd be a playoff team, it's a, he definitely has a case. Like he's in the top five for sure, but I guess record really is yeah. just him back. Yeah. I think it's a combination
0: of his record, not being great. And just the players with better records also just at the moment, at least just playing better than him, in my opinion, at least, um, okay. players like Embiid and Jokic.
1: All right, yeah, that sounds good to me. So we have we had a, vi- a wide variety of, of MVPs there. Let's move on to defensive player of the year. I'm going to start here. I see no way Ben Simmons cannot be the defensive player of the year. Agreed.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. I mean, and breaking down the reasons why he can guard one through five,
0: every
1: position, yeah. And he's like I I remember watching. Two back-to-back Sixers games this year, where he he clamps down Damian Lillard, who was my first round fantasy basketball pick. Mm-hmm. Terrible, terrible, terrible game to watch. <laughs> then I think the next game, he's going up against Gobert yeah. and just handling Crazy. that perfectly well. So I yeah, yeah I, I understand like that Gobert is a terrific rim protector. He the number of times he blocked Jason Tatum when they played the Jazz was terrifying but Ben Simmons is is all of the Gobert room
0: protection ability and then the perimeter defense oh yeah I mean Ben Simmons I think is one of the most overhated players in the league I understand his stats aren't flashy I understand he's not getting you 20-25 points a game but he is giving you the best defense in the league on a nightly basis whoever you need him to guard he's going to guard them he'll probably steal it from them at least two or three times probably get a block and he's going to take it the other way and get an assist in transition. So, I mean, I completely agree with you. He's got to be a defensive player of the year. I don't think there's really ever been someone yeah,
2: like, like y'all, him. I've been. On, yeah, like y'all, I've been on board with Ben Simmons as defensive player of the year for the entire season. Um, kind of the moment at which I said, like, no discussion. Ben Simmons is the defensive player of the year is when – the Mavs were playing the Sixers um, a few months back, and this guy did as good a job guarding Luka Doncic as anyone I've seen in his career. Um, I mean, basically, if you think about it, like if you were going to build like the ideal defender in a lab to guard Luka Doncic, it's Ben and like yeah. with his size. Um, uh, movement ability, his lateral quickness, all that stuff. Um, he's the perfect guy to guard Luca, And then like Sid said, the next night he can be guarding Damian Lillard or Rudy Gobert. So, I mean, that versatility is just yeah. rare. I mean, no one else in my eyes can match that. And so, for me, it's definitely Benson. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, so, in a word I'm eager to talk about as a Knicks fan, most improved. I I hope y'all don't have any argument against Julius Randle here. Um, I mean, the man is amazing this year. I know beginning of the season, people were thinking it could be a fluke, but he's been proving himself over and over again. I got to watch one of his games when he played the Mavs, dropped 44. Um, And this man is just, it's not like he's shooting a bunch. He's efficient. He's doing his thing and just dominating in the paint. And as a Knicks fan, I obviously love seeing that.
1: Rajan, as a Knicks fan, are you concerned that the, the annual Tibbs player melting down after playing 40 minutes a game in the regular season is going gonna, is gonna to occur
0: in the playoffs? You know, obviously it's in the back of my mind, but I haven't even sniffed the playoffs in <laughs> eight years. So I will take this any day of the week. Um, and I think if we can get keep the four seed and the Celtics lose enough that the Hawks are the five seed, I think we could take the Hawks in a seven-game series, um, especially with Trey Young's health being a little iffy right now. Um, obviously, I hope he gets better, but you know, I think Julius Randle would just go to work against John Collins um, if Mitchell Robinson actually comes back. I hope he does comes back healthy. I really think we could make it to the second round. What I'm more scared of with Tibbs is next season, once all the players get big egos, whether they're still going to buy into his. Defensive philosophy and all that. So.
2: Yeah, I really don't feel like this is even a discussion at all. Um, I'm with you, Rajan. I think Julius Randle, it's definitely his award to lose. Um, yeah. I don't really think there's a, a player that comes even close. I mean, who would you all have as your second and third?
0: Um, I would say Jeremy Grant played amazing beginning of the season. I haven't heard much of him recently. I don't know if that's just because I haven't been watching Pistons games or if he just hasn't been To be honest, who has been watching Pistons <laughs> games? Yeah. But, I mean, another guy, Christian Wood, has had a lot of injuries recently, but he also, at the beginning of the season, definitely had a case for the All-Star game. So he would be up there for sure.
2: Yeah, both those teams are just completely awful right now. Oh, yeah. Not trying to win games. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they probably don't really have much of a shot. So definitely Julius Randle. Um, yeah, I mean, he is playing just an absurd amount of minutes every night uh, because that's what Tibbs likes to do with his players. But uh, even with that, I mean, he he definitely has exceeded any
0: expectations coming to this year. Yeah, and I mean, I was thinking about this. I honestly, I don't know if it's ever happened before where a player was like. I'm pretty sure he was a finalist for MIP two years ago, came to the Knicks, god-awful averaging like six turnovers a game, and then turns around and now he's probably going to win MIP. I don't know if that's ever happened before, but it's definitely an interesting storyline there that he could be a finalist twice.
2: What I cannot stand, though, is Knicks fans saying that they won the Prazingis trade now just because Joyce Randall is having this great season. I mean, I mean as a math fan... I cannot stand that like at all. And that is very frustrating to hear. So that's annoying, but yeah, I mean, you can't take anything away from Julius Randle's fantastic yeah. season.
0: I mean, I wouldn't say Julius Randle's the reason the Knicks won the trade. I would say, I mean, first of all, Kristaps <laughs> just made of glass. I don't want to be rude, but you know, he hasn't been able to stay on the court very much recently. Um, he honestly doesn't seem as good as he was on the Knicks defensively. Um, I would say, I mean, the Knicks, he was definitely a lockdown post defender, rim protector. I feel like he hasn't been that way for the Mavs. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, we got like Dennis Smith Jr., who didn't pan out, but we got some
2: picks also. So. Yeah, I think Porzingis was averaging close to three blocks per game in New York. We have like 2.7. And in Dallas, I mean, he's just really not much of a rim protector at all. Like, I don't know if it's an effort issue or um, he just doesn't feel confident in that knee and doesn't want to kind of uh, like bang around with his massive guys in the post. But he defensively is just not there and kind of holding the Mavs back. But offensively, he's actually been playing very well and shooting well. And so he's been good on that end, but yeah, I mean, defensively, it's going to be hard dude. when playoff series, when, uh, when a playoff series, when you have a guy like that, who's a liability and especially given the Mavs lack of bigs, in addition to Przingis, I mean, we're just, yeah, uh, we, we just don't have the kind of numbers in size down low to deal with these teams like the Nuggets and, and the Sixers with massive centers who can do everything for the teams. One
0: thing I will say, if the Mavs keep that seven seed and go against the Suns at the two seed, I would not be shocked to see an upset there. I mean, when you look at the Suns, they're obviously a well-built team, great roster and all of that, and they have two stars in uh, Chris Paul and Book. but. I mean, we saw what Luca did last playoffs. He's special. Like, and he even performs even better in the clutch. I think if Porzingis is healthy, I don't see DeAndre Ayton keeping him to under twenty five, under tw- at least under twenty a game in the playoffs. So
2: yeah, it's funny because every Mavs fan wants to move up from seven to six and kind of hold that six seed to avoid the play in, but you hold that six seed right now like you're playing the Clippers first yeah. round and we saw that last year I mean that's just not a good matchup for the Mavs uh yeah. playing the Suns would be ideal but then you have to deal with that play so um yeah I mean it's just kind of an interesting situation with the addition of this new play-in tournament yeah
0: definitely
2: all right let's move on to probably one of
1: the more controversial awards this season, which is rookie of the year. Uh, It seemed like LaMelo had a stronghold towards, towards the middle of the season, but then obviously he broke his wrist and Anthony Edwards has been shooting like there's no tomorrow ever since. And, and I think I saw a quote from Anthony Edwards. Somebody asked him what's changed about the Timberwolves. Uh, You guys are winning games now. And, and Anthony Edwards responded by saying, uh, I'm playing. So obviously no lack of confidence from, from the number one overall pick, uh, Wiseman has been kind of a disappointment, but yeah. my, my favorite rookie from this class Halliburton is, is oh, yeah. showing out. Uh, I just want to get you guys uh, opinions on who the rookie of the year should be.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I would obviously love to say Halliburton or Emmanuel quickly, but realistically it's really between <laughs> Anthony Edwards and the ball. Um, I think mellow Ball, I don't care. Even though he's played maybe 15 less games than Anthony Edwards, I honestly don't care. I saw enough from him. I think he's the rookie of the year. And we'll see when he comes back um, how he plays. But, I mean, he was not playing like a rookie. Confidence off the charts. I mean, we expected his confidence to be high, but he's backed it up with his play. And it's been really fun to watch, especially since I've known this kid since he was like – a freshman in high school. I've been watching him. So it's definitely really cool to see him out there performing at that level.
2: Yeah. Anthony Edwards, um, certainly on the court, but also off the court in his press conferences has been pretty entertaining. Those interviews are gold. Um, yeah. So really up until the point where LaMelo got hurt, I mean, It wasn't really any discussion at all. He was the Rookie of the Year. And of course, like Sid said, he goes down with that wrist injury. And so now it's kind of pivoted to an Anthony Edwards near consensus, I'd say. Um, At least in in the media narrative, that's kind of who they're pegging to win Rookie of the Year. Not exactly sure how I feel about it. I think it's definitely funny how in back-to-back years... Last year, you had Ja Morant versus Zion Williamson. Zion only played, what, like 19 games, and people wanted him to be rookie of the year. So injury was also a factor in this rookie of the year discussion last year. And then again, this year it is with the mellow ball. Um, so I definitely think, like I said earlier with MVP, if there is a season to give uh, kind of some – some uh, if you if there is a season to kind of forgive a player for missing a large number of games, this is the one. And so, I if I was personally voting, I would vote for lamel Ball. I just think he was so polarizing um, in the time he played this year. He was clearly the best player on the Charlotte Hornets, as opposed to Anthony Edwards, who has kind of had an up and down year, had some highlight dunks, but. Um, In terms of his in terms of his efficiency, uh, his his efficiency has not matched kind of the uh, flashes he has shown dunking the ball and with his highlight plays, and so I would definitely go with Lamelo Ball, but uh, with the injury, I would not be surprised if Anthony Edwards came out on top. Okay, William,
0: I want to ask you something because the way you were just talking about Anthony Edwards reminded me a lot of the way people talk about another former Timberwolf who won rookie of the year. Um, Andrew Wiggins, everyone was talking about him. Like, I mean, his rookie year, no one had any negatives to say he was averaging like 20. I'm pretty sure playing amazing. And then as time went on, they were talking, they were pointing out his efficiency. And I mean, now they're talking about his work ethic and all that. And I've seen a lot of similar media narratives about Anthony Edwards. Do you think they're similar players? Cause they're obviously both freak athletes number one overall picks scores.
2: Yeah, so I mean I think so I'm full disclosure, I am a Kansas Jayhawks basketball fan. And so I followed uh, Wiggins in high school and then watched like every game of his at Kansas. And um I mean we all kind of knew for sure he was going to be the number one pick going into that draft just because his size and freakish athleticism. But to be honest that Kansas like if you just watch that tape, that did not scream number one pick. I mean, he didn't really develop a full offensive arsenal. Um, He kind of relied on his athleticism and took low percentage shots. And so, yeah, like there are definitely similarities between him and Anthony Edwards, but I think Anthony Edwards is much more – perimeter oriented in the sense that, you know, he's going to take like his good share of like step back threes and um, really like highly contested three pointers in, in each game he plays. Whereas Wiggins now, at least on the Warriors is more of like that third option uh, spot up shooter. And so I think if you kind of go back into Wiggins career when he was on the Timberwolves, uh, there are definitely a good number of similarities um, in, in terms of the efficiencies and everything, but I think that Anthony Edwards at least is showing more of that like um, rare like isolation scoring ability. Wiggins never really flashed that uh, at least to the extent that we believed he could do it coming into the draft. And so I think like you, you get more excited about Anthony Edwards' rookie year than you did about Andrew Wiggins, especially because Andrew Wiggins was billed at the build as this like sure thing uh, as a defender, people thought at least like if his offensive game never developed, he'd be one of the best for defenders in the NBA. But clearly, like, as a rookie, that didn't really show through, and so I think, like if I had to choose between Wiggins's outlook in his rookie year going forward and Edwards's, I would choose Edwards. um, I think that like he definitely has shown you enough in his rookie year to get super excited about what he could be in the future.
0: yeah, that's interesting. I was just that was just a question I had. Um, I honestly, I mean, I was obviously young back then, but, and I basically just listened to whatever the media said, but I thought Wiggins was the next Kobe after his rookie year. I mean, (laughs) I remember watching that game when he played Kobe and everyone was like, Oh, he's passing the torch. And I was like, yeah, he's passing the torch. Like, I mean, yeah, I guess we were all wrong there except you clearly. But
1: (laughs) Rajan was all in on the maple Mamba movement. Um, (laughs) I, I'd like to say as, as a Celtics fan who's seen so many rookies show up over countless years at this point, because we don't seem to trade picks. Um, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a disappointing class, honestly, took Neesmith with with 14. Everybody who was around me during the draft can attest to the fact that, that once Halliburton fell past the Knicks, yeah. I, I was pleading for 14, 26, and thirty three or whatever to to be traded together to get up to like ten or something like that to to take Halliburton. Uh but but that was that was a bummer. Instead so we've we've had an East Smith who's kind of been a a garbage time three point shooter and Pritchard who has been nice, but I yeah. I don't foresee a Peyton Pritchard leading the line to the to the championship
0: yeah. anytime soon. All right. Um Halliburton. Go ahead. You can. Uh, I was just saying Halliburton has been incredibly clutch this year. I mean, I was looking at some clutch stats. He's right up there almost with Damian Lillard. And I mean, as a rookie, that's exactly what you want to see. Because if they have that confidence and that mindset, you know, that they'll put the work in to get where they need to be. And that's what I love about Tyrese Halliburton is that he's there mentally. So,
2: Yes yeah, Said really quick, I was not a fan at all of the Neesmith pick. Um, I mean, he had a very limited sample size in his, like, one season at Vanderbilt. And really, his only true NBA skill that you were, like, sure of was his shooting ability. What he shot, like, uh, close to 50% or 50% at Vanderbilt in however many games he played was not that many. But, like, if that's your only skill, well... There's no guarantee that's even going to translate to the NBA, and so, um, like, like I said, uh, that's just not something I'd bet on. Um, drafting a guy who's like really only a shooter in the first in the lottery is not something I would do if I were a GM, because, um, like I said, there's no guarantee it's even going to translate. And so, I would have opted for a player who had more of a diverse skill set and could do it and could have done a lot more things absolutely um
1: all right so i think we've wrapped up all the awards and and in that we've also jumped around to a bunch of different topics let's move to what's going to be going down a few days after this podcast drops which is the start of the playoffs and the much anticipated much hated whatever you want to call it play in tournament and subsequent playoffs uh when we go around, I would like everybody to first give their opinions on the playing tournament, and then after that, give me one contender
0: team that you foresee going far or maybe even winning the championship. Okay. Um, I can go first. I I definitely do think the play tournament is great for us, for the basketball watchers. Um, I think it might not be great for some of the players. I think for a few reasons – um, first of all, the one thing about basketball is that it's not one game, like it's a whole series. And that's why every year you get the best team. I, at least I believe every year, the best team has won the championship. Obviously there could be injuries or something, but that's natural. Um, I think you really just have to be the better team over a seven game series. Um, in the play in tournament, it's literally you lose once and you could be out. Um, and then also, Obviously, injuries, it's just more games for players to play with less rest, and obviously with the playoffs, you have to go all out every single possession, so that obviously can make it hard for players, but it's definitely really enjoyable for us, for the fans. Um, So, I actually, well, I have a few contenders, but I think in the West, it's really the Lakers and Clippers. I don't really see anyone else getting out of the West. Um, And then in the East, I actually have – I mean, I think obviously the Nets have the firepower. I think Sixers are going to be a terrible matchup for the Nets. That's scary. If I'm the Nets, I would not want to play the Sixers. But also the Bucs. I don't see them stopping Giannis. They really have no post defense. Like Griffin can't move quickly to save his life at this point. Um, Jeff Green is their best option, and he's not stopping Giannis. So... I really think any of those three teams, I would not be surprised to see any of them make it out of the East. But I think to win the championship, I don't see the Bucks beating the Lakers or Clippers or really the Sixers either. So I would say it's really the Lakers, Clippers, Nets, and Sixers are the four teams that I think could win the championship this year.
2: So, yeah, as a Mavs fan... Um, it's kind of hard for me to not be opposed to the plan tournament, given Mark Cuban's comments and Luca Doncic's comments on the plan tournament. Um, they definitely both were uh, strictly opposed to it, and I think I definitely am as well. But there are kind of two things to consider with the plan tournament. First, like Robin said. Like, for the fans, it's great. I mean, it's uh, extra basketball. It drives up engagement in the end of the regular season. Like, usually at the end of the regular seasons in the NBA, um, you're having a bunch of starters rest and bench guys getting to play a lot. And you'll see uh, random players go for, like, 40 points and stuff because the competition is so weak and everybody's just kind of – gearing up for the playoffs and everything. But now with the planned tournament, you have these teams, um, like nine through what, like probably 13 that are trying to make this tournament to keep their playoff hopes alive. And so it's great for the fans. Um, it's a lot more engaging. And then the other aspect to consider is, the play-in tournament's positive impact on tanking. So in a normal year, you would get these teams that would figure out by, you know, around the all-star break that they have no chance of making the playoffs. So they'll start um, essentially trying to lose. Like they'll bench their starters and just try to rack up as many losses as possible to get as high of a draft pick as possible. But now with this play-in tournament, you get these teams that are still trying to make the playoffs. And so it kind of helps with the tanking issue. For example, the Washington Wizards in the East started off just miserably this season and no one thought they had any chance of making the playoffs, but now um, they're playing much better as of late and are actually in the play-in tournament. And so that play-in tournament, I mean, gave them an incentive to keep trying, to keep winning, not to just... Um to uh, just tank their season away and so I think from that perspective it's definitely good. So overall, while the players don't like it, especially if you are the seven or eight seed, I think for the league overall and for the brand of the league, I think it's probably a good thing.
1: Yeah, I'm actually a fan of the playing tournament. I've also been a fan of of uh, Adam Silver starting around this idea of a midseason tournament, which, I don't know if you guys have heard about, but just yeah. the idea of just like having like a soccer style cup tournament with, with some incentive towards the end of the season. I've been a fan of any kind of tournament like that. So I have I am a huge fan of the play. And and, and honestly, I don't really care what people involved in, in the games, I have to say about it. I mean, just win your games, honestly. Um, as for a, a team in the playoffs that – that I'm really keeping my eye on, uh, obviously I'll keep my eye on the Celtics because who knows what's going to happen with them. But, um, I really, I really do think that this is going to be a year of, of like a matchup that people had predicted last year, which is Bucks Clippers. Um, and I understand that like teams have gone cold on them because obviously the Clippers kind of, kind of catfished everybody last year. And, the Bucks probably catfished people even more last year. So uh, I I understand that there's some there's some sour grapes involved in that. There are some also just like they're not, they're not real playoff teams. But but I particularly enjoy seeing that both Kawhi and Paul George are actually playing games this year, albeit Paul George every now and then has to sit out a game because he drank too much coffee. But I I do think that this is kind of gonna be a year where where experience and kind of redemption wins out more than
0: anything. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I'm not going to argue with those picks. I think one of the biggest things that people aren't remembering is both of those teams picked up really, really good perimeter defending guards. And obviously, Rondo is my favorite player, so I'm biased towards him. But we've seen playoff Rondo time and time again do his thing. Locked up Dame Lillard a few years ago. Last year, he was key for the Lakers the whole playoff run. I think he's going to do the same for the Clippers this year. Um, And then Drew Holiday, he's one of the most underrated players in the league. Now, is he worth 160 mil for four years? Maybe not, but for what he'll do this season for them, I think that big three of Drew, Chris Middleton, and Giannis will do special things, and it's going to be hard for any team to go against them, just very tenacious defending and obviously on offense to all three of them can create their own shot. So that'll be interesting. Yeah.
2: I just think the West race is just super interesting this year because you have these two teams in Phoenix and Utah who um, have completely surpassed expectations heading into the season. And um, yeah, I mean, seriously, the, no one is taking them as true contenders still. I mean, Mm -hmm. Uh, these teams like Utah has been to many playoffs in the last like five, six years. I mean, they've been there every year. Um, haven't always gone far, uh, usually exiting in the first round, but they've been there. They definitely have the experience, um, in Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert leading the way there. And so they're really interesting. Um, And then also Phoenix, obviously bringing over Chris Paul. um, He's been sensational this season. And then you have Devin Booker and then a bunch bunch of other uh, guys who contribute night in, night out. And so I don't know if I'm even ready to buy either of those teams, but I was curious as to whether you all are.
1: I have an issue with thinking about the, the jazz or the sons until they actually prove me wrong. And the reason being this, you mentioned the, the experience of Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley. And then for the sons, the experience of Chris Paul. But, but I would ask experience in, in getting to what? And <laughs> in that being like Mike Conley and the Grizzlies kind of perennial, like you're, maybe get through the first round losing the second round gobert has has been getting cooked by james harden in his dreams and nightmares for for who knows how long in the playoffs and and similarly, to chris paul i understand that he made the the conference finals and one game away from the finals and like one hamstring away or whatever with the rockets once but i look at i look at a team like the clippers who coming out of the West with Kawhi who's been to the con who's won multiple championships, Paul George, who albeit like, it feels like years ago or decades ago or whatever, but he did make consecutive conference finals with the Pacers yeah. and, and went toe to toe with LeBron. Uh, and then over on the Bucks side, I look at, I look at Giannis who was two games away from making to the championship a couple of years ago, along with Chris Middleton, and all that chemistry that they've had, like it's really the only change that they made was was like a blood so for for Holiday, in when you're thinking about playoff rotations, yeah. and I understand that Holiday doesn't really have that playoff experience, but I mean, I, I'm just him. more comfortable with that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, we've seen Drew Holiday prove himself in the playoffs. I think we all remember. Dan probably still has nightmares from that sweep. Rondo and Drew Holiday just shut him and him and CJ off the entire series. Um, but yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. I think I would say. I mean, yeah, the Jazz haven't obviously been far, but they have had a lot of experience. They had that seven-game series last year, and I wouldn't be surprised. I think the Jazz could definitely make it to the conference finals this year, especially if the Lakers end up at the sixth seed. Um, I think the Jazz could make it to the conference finals, um, but yeah, I don't. I definitely don't see them being a championship team this year. I think if they keep building, they could be soon, though.
2: What's interesting though with Phoenix is the fact that like they kind of skipped this step that most teams take on their way to contending, where like you make the playoffs kind of like for the first time and are like an eight seed to like get that initial experience, kind of like the Mavs did last year as a seven seed. Um, like they just they obviously didn't make the playoffs last year, and then the following season they're what well, the two seed. So I think that's interesting, like. I, I definitely wouldn't buy them. Um, if, I, if I was betting on it, I would definitely bet against them. And then uh, I think I am I would side with Sid here on my picks for the championship. I definitely like the Clippers out of the West. I think they are kind of being slept on this season just because of what happened last year. But they definitely made uh, quite a few roster changes. And then out of the East, I would either go with – probably Brooklyn or Milwaukee. I don't think the Sixers have it. Um I don't know, the Sixers are just such a weird team. Uh, that's a whole another discussion for another day. But yeah, so I think Nets are bucks out of the East, but then definitely Clippers out of the West. Okay, um before we finish this segment, I just so
0: y'all really are saying y'all think it's definitely Clippers over Lakers cuz I mean, at least for me, I think it It's going to be a great series if they get to play each other finally. Um, But, I mean, the Lakers are just a very well-built team. We've seen them without LeBron and AD still have a winning record. Andre Drummond obviously is not the all-star people say he is, but he's still a very, very good player. He's going to get you 15 rebounds if you ask him to. Um, So I I want to make sure we're not sleeping on the Lakers because if everyone gets back in healthy – I don't know. My concern with the Lakers is this: I, I understand that they played
1: really well with AD and LeBron out, and kind of treaded water pretty well. But once AD has been in, they've they've kind of struggled to find their their footing and their chemistry with that. And I don't know when LeBron's coming back—probably in a, in a couple of games or so. But it's going to take a while for him to find his chemistry with with all these people who they added in the buyout market too. I mean, he hasn't played a game with Drummond. Yeah, I think is is something that's not exactly being covered but I think it's going to take them a while to kind of find their ebb and flow and I fear it'll be a little too late especially if they end up in that four five
0: kind of matchup and then have to end up playing a one seed yeah I mean yeah no I get that for sure I I just think I guess I'm just confident in LeBron he's shown he can be a good leader he made it work with Kyrie for a little bit at least um and, Ke- and Kevin Love obviously and then with AD it seemed like just immediately he made that relationship so I'm hoping just him being on the sideline and all that will help them or I guess I'm assuming but yeah moving forward on um, just future teams um, what are some teams that you think can build from this draft and just build for the future that you're really excited to see moving forward?
1: I Okay, I'll take the lead on this. I think the obvious answer is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, they're just, I mean, they're just, they're stacked with draft picks. I mean, some teams are stacked with actual players. They're stacked with draft I think, 17 first-round picks in the next five years or so, and 34 picks overall. Obviously, they're going to have to end up combining that. But the fact that they've not only been kind of tanking, obviously, but also, kind of keeping a culture of winning games. I mean, Lou Dort dropped a dropped a solid twenty four on my beloved Celtics uh, last night. Painful to watch, but uh, the the fact that they're they're losing games but still keeping this this identity that I think is going to help them in the long run is something that that I think is really going to pay dividends for them when they end up with uh, my favorite player in the draft, Jalen Sucks.
2: Now, hopefully Sam Presti doesn't make the same mistake that Danny Ainge did and try to actually cash in all those picks on players in the draft. I mean, he'd definitely be smart to trade him. I mean, obviously you can't pick 17 uh, players in the first round over five years or whatever it is. So they're definitely – I would assume – they would they would definitely look to at least try to package those picks and try to go out for a star. But you know, like what star is gonna to want to come to Oklahoma City, that's always what they're going to be up against. And so, um, I think the one team, uh, maybe a little hometown bias uh comes into play here is that I'm looking forward to um seeing like kind of uh their ascension is the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, they should have a really interesting offseason because if Josh Richardson opts out of this player option, they can create a max slot, uh, the $35 million max slot or whatever it is up to now. And so there are definitely a lot of options in this free agency. I know a lot of Mass fans are wanting us to pursue DeMar DeRozan um, free agency. I don't know what y'all would think about that, but I think he could definitely kind of come in as that, secondary ball handler and secondary scorer that the Mavs just so desperately need because right now Jalen Brunson is kind of having to shoulder a lot of that load. And while he's, you know, like a great uh, six-man backup point guard, you definitely would like to have like another star on the perimeter that can handle. I mean, Tim Hardaway, some nights looks like an all-star, other nights looks like he shouldn't belong in the NBA. So Mavs definitely have an interesting off season. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do y'all think about the Mavs kind yeah. of agency options?
0: All right. Well, so what I would say, I actually love that DeMar DeRozan, he's become criminally underrated. Um, if I think we could just officially move Luca to the one, get like, stop saying he's a shooting guard, just put him at the one, have DeMar play the two. Um, I think that would actually be a really, really good duo. They would, counter each other very well in terms of Luca especially now with his three-point shooting being much improved um I think that would be really good and Demar could run a great pick and roll with Kristaps as well um but I would say I don't know if I would want to give damar a 35 mil mask max for the next four years or whatever it would be just because um, he's got to be at least 32 at, or 31 32. I mean he's definitely he's not getting any better at this point in his career. So I wouldn't want to be wasting 35 mil on a 35 36 year old. But that would be my one not reason I wouldn't want to do that with Tamar. This is this is
1: all too familiar. I mean, I know the Celtics are my first team, but but the amount of times I've heard about the Mavs potentially opening up a max spot for for this player who's who's gonna love playing next to, to insert form superstar here, uh is is just I mean, listening to annual's optimism as he said, if Josh Richardson opts out of free money, which he's probably not gonna get on the open market, and then the the cap gymnastics to end up with with of all players, DeMar DeRozan on a max contract was. I mean, I'm I am laughing. I I am, I am giggling,
2: to the core. I mean, look. Well, after ten years of trying to go after that big fish, whether it was like Darren Williams or Dwight Howard or Carmelo Anthony or LeBron or. Kevin Durant, all of these guys over the years, over the years that the Mavs have tried to go after, even DeAndre Jordan, that whole saga. Um, I've definitely kind of learned to lower my expectations. Um, usually, that first night of free agency is a dark night for me. I'm usually in a dark place, um, staying up late into the night, just contemplating my life as a Dallas Mavericks fan. Not fun. But um, yeah. So I'm definitely not a huge fan of building through free agency. I prefer building through the draft. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, the Mavs will not have their pick in this draft, though, which sucks um, because it's going to New York in the Chris Pauls trade. Um, but this draft will be filled with fun, exciting players, and should be definitely better than even last year's draft. All right, speaking of speaking of uh, next year's draft
1: and also kind of wrapping up our podcast, uh, give us one prospect you're really into and one really quick hot take for the next five years of, of NBA basketball.
0: Okay. Um, I, okay, I can go first. Um, I think one prospect that just isn't being talked about enough is Jalen Green. Um, elite, elite player in high school. He went to the G League, so he hasn't got the media attention, but I don't really care about media attention. I know that man is a killer. He will do it on both ends of the court. Um, great slasher. I think he, and he's just so athletic. I think he'll do special things in the league. And um, I'm going to end this board. I think in the next five years, the New York Knicks will be NBA champions.
2: Wow. <laughs> What? Wait, Roger, do you think the Knicks will win a championship before the Nats? Anything
0: is possible, that's all I'm saying. That was obviously a little exaggerated, but I do think the Knicks are trending in the right direction, finally, for the first time since we picked up Staten Mello 10 years ago, so, you know.
2: Wow. (laughs) So as far as the draft... There are kind of two guys I want to touch on. Um, First is Scotty Barnes, the uh, 6'9 power forward from Florida State. I mean, this guy has truly like like, like generational defensive potential. I mean, in terms of what you can do with him, he's one of those guys, those rare guys who can guard one through five, and so – just alone off of that off that defensive potential, that's enough to be a top ten pick, and so I think some team is definitely going to covet that. And so he's definitely one of the most intriguing players in this draft. And then also the conversation surrounding um, Baylor guard Davion Mitchell is very interesting. Um, so of course uh, he he's more of an older prospect because he transferred from Auburn think he's around twenty-three maybe somewhere around there. He's very old. Um, and so he definitely had an outstanding NCAA tournament run, which definitely elevated his draft stock. And he's kind of this smaller guard, might be around like five eleven. He's listed around like six two, but I definitely don't think he's above six feet tall. Um, but he's super explosive. Um a really good defender, ferocious defender. One of those guys, who's just like a pest. And then offensively, he can shoot the three really well. He can penetrate. Um, The one thing I worry about him, though, uh, on the NBA level is trying to finish over rim protection. In college, obviously, you don't have that as much. You don't have many seven feet seven foot you don't have any seven footers to be honest that can really alter point guards uh, layups around the rim and so I think that could definitely kind of uh throw a curveball in his game once he gets to the NBA but overall I mean I think I would take him in the lottery in the late lottery just based off of his athleticism and his playmaking and all that and so He's definitely an interesting prospect. All right,
1: I've got I've got a few prospects I want to talk about. Obviously, early early in the draft, I think these these two will go top five. Uh, Evan Mobley, center USC. Just annual was talking about rim protection. This guy, this guy does it all. I mean,
2: he Actually long.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one issue with him is is going to be kind of getting getting the weight up. I think. For- yeah. He's a, he's a little lanky for, for my liking, but you know, we can figure that out. Uh, another early prospect, uh, Jalen slugs just unbelievable. I mean, I know everybody saw the the March Madness shot, but just any, any tape of this guy is, is just amazing to watch. Uh, I, I have invested heavily in Jalen Suggs stock from a, from a mind perspective, not, not monetarily, obviously. Um, and then, as for a person who's going to go a little later in the draft, uh, so I had a lot of I had a lot of Yukon stock going into the tournament, and so uh, and and this is purely because I'm a huge uh, a James Bonite fan, who uh, plays guard for them. He's a he's a sophomore. Uh, when you think about Yukon guards, you think you think Kemba. You also think Shabazz Napier but Bonet definitely kind of fits that mold of somebody who can, who can ISO and get you a bucket. So I I look forward to seeing where he ends up and and how he can contribute to a team. As for my bold prediction, uh, we talked earlier about the thunder having 17 draft picks in the first round and 34 in the next 34 total draft picks in the next five. I think uh, my bold prediction is that they will at the very least, have the number of draft picks that they have in by the off season of 2022. So I think they're going to make a trade within the next season and and a
0: quarter for a major superstar. I hope for SGA's sake that they do do that because I I mean I think about that a lot between SGA and Lou Dort. I really hope their careers aren't wasted waiting for future draft picks.
1: Yeah, and I think it'll it'll actually be maybe one or even two superstars. I think I think OKC is going to actually fast track this a lot more than people actually think. So uh, with that, I think we've recorded for basically an hour. So so now we have f- actual homework to do. Uh, thank you all for listening to this podcast. I know we kind of went all around the league and, and all around who knows what about and for how long. I have no idea I'm going to figure out while I'm editing, but uh, I wanted to thank Rajan and William for having on. It was awesome to talk hoops on a April night. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I have fun. Thank you for having us. Thank you.
1: The St. Mark's fantasy expert, fantasy guru, you name it, he is it. Benny Wang is here, blessing us with his presence. Benny, how are you doing? What's up? I'm good, Sid. How are you? I am doing better for talking to you. Now, Benny, we are we are engaged in, in the middle of one of the fiercest fantasy basketball playoffs known to mankind. Oh, yeah. Uh, my big baller brand is up against your are trapped, money squad, inevitably in the championship. I feel like I can say, right?
3: Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a fair assumption uh, assuming no injuries,
1: that's assuming. assuming no injuries. Yeah, Although four of my players are out, which is kind of disappointing at this point of, of time. Right? right. Um, you've dealt with your own injury woes, but we'll save that for the end of the podcast because right. Uh, the reason you're here is because you have actually been in, in multiple fantasy sports, and so right. when. When William asked me who who is somebody who can speak to fantasy sports, I said oh, Benny's the one. Benny, can you tell the listeners how many fantasy sports you've done? Uh, well, I've done um, basketball, uh,
3: uh, football, um, baseball, soccer, and hockey. So I
1: believe that is five. Wait,
3: can just
1: can you explain how fantasy hockey, baseball? I, in soccer work i think we understand how basketball and football work but how do those right, right. work? The,
2: the
3: soccer hockey and baseball are definitely weird scoring formats um for i started baseball actually this year and most of the players score negative negative points especially when a pitcher basically when a pitcher does bad and loses the game like, like the mlb councilman the boss they score like negative 20 points like it's actually like one of the worst Scoring from us, and then like as as far as hitters, like on a great day, they they get like two to three. On a very good day, they hit like seven, eight points. On on a normal day, they usually get zero, negative one, or one. And soccer, it depends on the competition you do, but like um, there's they have like assist or like two points, um, key passes. And a lot of that's like gets altered like at the end of the game. So I think you know you know about stack corrections, right? In the NBA, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stack corrections for. Both baseball and soccer and then hockey i don't i don't I, I did it for like two seasons it didn't really go well it, it doesn't it, it kind of hurts when you don't know the players so that definitely yeah yeah but the scoring is all weird for those of you. but basketball and football i think obviously most people know those two but soccer baseball and hockey are weird, very weird scoring formats that definitely vary on the league you do i think so
1: well this so you touched on something that that confuses me and interests me at the same time which is that for the listeners Benny hasn't played a St. Mark's sport since 8th grade right yeah i know i have not your last sport was was 8th grade track which i eighth still think track. you should have stuck with but sure. <laughs> but also on top of that i i don't think you're a baseball fan i don't think you're really much of a hockey fan Right. So why, what gets you so interested in fantasy sports well, when the real sports don't do it for you? Right.
3: Well, I think the part of the reason I did those fantasy sports was to learn more about those specific sports. Like I was like, because I've always been a fan of the three, the, the big, I call it the big three, basketball, football, and soccer. Like I've always watched those three my entire life. And when I started fantasy sports, like around like middle school, I like began to look more into it rather than looking at like the final scores, like, these big plays in, like, these three sports. I look at um, specific stats, like, what type of offense a team would run, what type of defense a team would run, um, like, looking at percentages in basketball, like, shooting percentages, looking at how how they match up against certain players, looking at that, and obviously just looking more, I guess, looking deeper into these teams, looking deeper into these players. I was like, why don't I do that for baseball, for hockey, like, sports that I don't really – no, like i feel like that's a good way because usually when i try watching the game, it, it's hard for me to watch a baseball game if i don't know the players like i've watched a lot of st mark's baseball um players shout out to the st mark's baseball team um but um that, it's definitely more fun when you know it know like the players and like that kind of helps when you um you can do fantasy it's just kind of like learning these random players you've never heard of before that was kind of my main reason for doing uh, fancy baseball, fancy hockey, in the first place, just to learn about players because it did the same for me for basketball, football, and soccer. So,
1: do you yeah. feel like you do you feel like you ever get misled by by how many points a fantasy player scores? Like, I mean, for instance, for instance, I have I have Harrison Barnes on my team, right? Who notoriously at the start of the season was was dropping fifty points fifty points a game, but I don't think Harrison Barnes was exactly like the third best player on my team.
3: Right.
1: Right. So, do you feel like you get misled by like if a fantasy hockey player goes off and you don't exactly like watch the game or if a fantasy baseball player gets like an easy win at the end of the game? Right.
3: When I, when I think when you first start it, it's easy to get misled, especially like mixing, like trying to mix fantasy and real life. I think remember when I, I think we've talked about it a couple times this year where like an example of players that are great for fantasy, but then in real life, you watch them and you realize they're not good. DeAndre Ayton comes to mind and lots of other players come to mind. Like where, when you see those, because remember in fantasy it just comes down to the numbers and obviously in sports, it's not all about numbers. It's about how you actually play Right. But when you look at the numbers, like at the box score or whatever, you may think like a player's, Oh, this player is doing great. But and then you watch the games and then not having the, like the actual game impact. And so like, that's kind of helped me like, like look past. I remember um, baseball, I had this, I, I was streaming pitchers. So I picked up this random pitcher and he um, scored like 20, 30 points. It was good for a pitcher. And then um, I, I watched the highlights and most of the, like, he gave up a lot of hits. well, they didn't count as hits. Like a lot of um, um, batters like hit his pitches and then his defense would make great catches, great plays. You know, so that's something to keep in mind for any fantasy sports because like we hear like stats don't lie. And I'm, I guess I'm in the middle in that because like sometimes stats aren't going to lie, you know, like um, your shooting percentage and over a course of your career that obviously means something. But like sometimes like, especially off one game, stats can definitely lie. Like they definitely like garbage time, like garbage time points are a big thing. we've, I think we've talked about it a couple of times, like players, like bench players, like haven't done anything all game, but the game's a blowout. And then they just go in and then put up a bunch of points and then fantasy wise, it looks like they've done really well, but in real life, it didn't, it, it didn't matter anyways. It was a blowout. So it, I, that's definitely like a lesson to like keep in mind when you're playing fantasy sports, I think to distinguish between real life and fantasy
1: Mm-hmm. Now, another interesting thing about, about your fantasy sports life, and is that like, a lot of us are in leagues with our friends, and right. that's kind of like a, a regular thing, but you've also done fantasy leagues with complete strangers, and I just wonder what the dynamic of, of being in a fantasy league with people you don't know uh- is like...
3: Mm, it's not as strong like for my fantasy baseball that i'm doing right now like i don't i i we talk a little bit in like a group chat but it's not it's not the same. it's definitely more it's way more fun when you play with friends personally i think because um it's just more you, you see your friends every day you get more personal i think well, well i guess playing in a randomly can probably lead to more competitive and more balanced situations i'm more do it for fun you know i'm not like a like pull up money like try to win money type of i'm just doing this for fun because at the end of the day it's sports and i'd rather i'd rather have fun watching the sport than like betting on these sports like putting money on it so yeah it's definitely a lot the dynamics
1: definitely i definitely prefer
3: playing with friends i've been
1: so mm-hmm. now i want to get i want to ask you also when you've played fantasy sports for so many years does does like something like fantasy football, which you've done for a while, or fantasy basketball, which you're you're now getting on in? Does right. it ever get boring? Mm, it doesn't get boring.
3: It's never gotten boring for me. It's been it's definitely frustrating. Um, I think the biggest frustration is injuries. That's the biggest frustration. Um, I don't think it's ever gotten boring because every season is different, and um, especially with. Um, football and basketball, there's new players every year and rookies always make an impact, right? So you're always watching over rookies, seeing what rookies can do. And there's always like the fresh, freshness of new players that kind of makes it more fun. And like I said, in the NBA and the NFL, teams can switch, switch teams often. And so that's kind of, I kind of like the sport just makes it fresh on its own. It's not so much the fantasy sports is like doing as much. It's just the sport on its own is always like changing and always um like, always adapting and so it's never it's never gone boring for me personally so
1: mm-hmm. okay i want to transition to something that we're going to call benny's tips and tricks to be a <laughs> fantasy football legend okay. benny uh any sport really i'm just going to give you the floor tell me tell me your your chief strategies in in developing a fantasy football dynasty or a fantasy sports dynasty uh definitely the first first thing is
3: watching as many games as you can and not trying to like read and not not just like check the scores and then check the box scores because like i said box scores while they might help you in fantasy like but watching them is where you're going to tell oh this guy's good like th- this guy's solid like watching who gets the most touches on offense who shoots the ball mo- most often who um, just say I've watched I've watched I've tra- tracked Devin Booker a lot since his rookie season since I watched him a lot when he was at Kentucky and his game has evolved to the point where he's not solo so solely looking to score I think early on watching him play he was always trying to look to score which I think fantasy wise leads you to a one dimensional pick but this season I think he's obviously stepped it up he's still. He's still His primary job is still scoring, obviously, when you watch him. He is the main go-to, go, go, go to, like, he's the go-to scorer on that team, obviously. But the, the like, addition of Chris Paul, um, DeAndre, and cleaning up the glass sometimes, like, he, he watching games are, is going to help you understand, like, what each player does, what he adds to a team, how often he's involved in that team, and, and that can help you, like, make a decision. And I think, and kind of, like, adding on to this, like, that was, like, my first, like, Main thing, watching games. I think I also that is like a little disclaimer, like an asterisk. Like sometimes you can make all the right decisions and you can't control what happens. Like, and I, I already said that like injuries like this season, like for fantasy football, I think I've told you about this, but Rajan and Connor had two of the best teams that had um, Connor had um, Kyler Murray, D, D- hop, um, Derek Henry, um, great players like that. And Rajan had Rajan had. Deshaun Watson, um, Alvin Kamara, and Devontae Adams, and Will Fuller. Will Fuller, right. And so they were the top two seeds in the playoffs, and I was the last seed. I barely snuck into the playoffs in our um, eight-man league. So this teams is a bit stacked. And my team, I drafted Drew Brees this season. And obviously, as you all know, that did not I pan out very this. Well. That did not pan out very well. So I dropped him one week, and then – for, I think, a solid two to three weeks, my quarterback was Gardner Minshew. was Gardner Minshew. So that kind of tells you what the state of my team was. And then week seven, I find Justin Herber on waivers. And needless to say, the rookie of the year takes me to a fantasy game. And what happens, basically, in the fantasy playoffs, when I play Raj in first round, and I remember he's he beat it's it's a two week setup so we combine the scores from two weeks and the first week he's up by forty, right? Which is to be expected. He's the best team. Second week, what happens is Will Will Fuller gets suspended. <laughs> Devonte Adams has a bad bad game, which he hadn't had all season long. Um, Kamara is hurt, I believe, and I think Deshaun doesn't have as great of a game. Whereas when you're setting the lineup, you're not going to bench Deshaun Watson. You're not going to bench Alvin Kamara. You're not going to bench Devonta Adams. Roger made all the right choices there. That's literally, and he couldn't control. And I ended up having a great week because Herbert went off um, and a couple waiver waiver my waiver wire players went off. I'm struggling to think of which one. Oh, um, Aaron Jones was injured. So I had Jamal Williams, his backup. I picked up Jamal Williams off backup. I, had, I benched Zeke. Because Zeke was having fumbling issues, and I started—I think it was—I um, think it was either Jarek McKinnon or Jeff Wilson Jr. Players that would never have been drafted throughout the season, and I ended up being Rajan. And the same thing happened in the championship against Connor. Um, I was down by twenty. Um, but the Bills played Monday night and Stefan Diggs went off for three touchdowns, I believe, in that game against the Patriots defense, um, which was not to be not no one expected that because the Patriots had a great um, pass passing defense. And then in the second few, in the second like week, I was up by like 20. And then he had he still had Kyler Murray and D Hop to play. Well, week 17, Kyler Murray gets hurt. And I believe the first or second drive, and he ends up with one fantasy point, which is terrible for a fantasy quarterback. He And I believe Kyler averaged like four, 30, 40 ish, right? And D Hop was averaging like 30 ish. And because Kyler's out, D Hop doesn't do as well. And so D-Hop, Kyler ends up with the injury. He ends up with having like one point, and D Hop ends up with, I think, 10 points. And I win like that. And so that's my biggest thing. Like sometimes injuries, Injuries are the death; they are the death note to your fantasy team, and you can't control them. And I'm sorry about that, but that's just how it goes, I think. So the main two is just watch as many games as you can, and also be prepared for injuries because they they ruin your season, unfortunately. And that's just the unfortunate, harsh reality to fantasy sports, I think. So,
1: okay, at this point, I'm gonna tell you one of my pet peeves, and I'm gonna let you go off on it which uh-huh. is people who don't set their lineup.
3: <laughs> you know, Sharp, Sharpik's right here. Then Sharp doesn't set his lineup. <laughs> I know.
1: I know Sharp's right
3: there. That's why I said it out loud.
0: I'm I'm, I'm taking I'm ta- I'm for next season.
3: He's taking for next season's first pit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, people who don't set your lineup Exactly. And that's what kind of the, the, like we discussed, like the, the downside to playing with your friends, because it's not as competitive when you don't have, something to motivate you um that is a problem I think you're never you're never going to see that problem and I think maybe you'll see that problem in like money leagues where you're giving up a big money for a pot but with your friends it's definitely hard especially in our 18-man league 18-man league I would say what like half of them don't check especially now that it's playoffs the p- players that aren't in the playoffs definitely don't check so um that is a problem I, I feel like how it would how it could be fixed is if there was daily reminders. But then again, that could lead to some like, for example, say like someone had their lineup set, but they were playing someone who did not have their lineup set. Is it fair to remind that player to set their lineup? That's a great line, right? um Obviously, the person that was playing the team that didn't have their lineup set would be very upset, and the person that didn't have their lineup set would be relieved, right? That's a great line. I per- I personally. um I don't have I don't have a problem with that but some people do and so there I, there's, there's definitely no solution behind making it a money game unfortunately you need a, you need that incentive I guess or or like having what we wanted to do at the beginning season was make the losing team have to do some something embarrassing like that's also, like you can anything just anything that requires anything that involves incentives, or like disincentives to not get last to get to not get last or incentives to do better something like that something to fix it i guess so
1: yeah absolutely i i think you talked about our 18 men league which has been interesting to say the least because there there's just been so much waiver wire movement but the issue is that we're picking up players who who i don't think any of us have actually heard of until like today right um, Benny, can you explain your waiver wire maneuvers, seeing as you have the most moves made in our fantasy league?
3: I and mean, uh, There should be a disclaimer on that because there's no limit on waiver wire as right? So th- that's a big disclaimer. I feel like that's my, that's my strategy. Um, waiver wire, er, especially at the early of the season, is when it's most important because you have players like Keldon Johnson and Kyle Anderson, right? They went undrafted in our 18-man league. So imagine how crucial they would have been if you were in a, well, actually, they would have been less crucial, but they could have been important pickups in, like, a 10-, 12-man league. But an 18-man league, that's absolutely crucial, those two pickups that Henry and I made. Um, some other waiver wire picks, I can think of Chris Boucher. Um, I am picked up Chris Boucher. That was an incredible pickup. And these are players, like like I said, like, this can't be understated. Can
1: we, we drafted said- In an 18-man league. Can we also say, it's somewhat, like you talked about luck? I did not pick up Chris Boucher because he thought he was going to be good. He just wanted to say he had Mr. Boucher on his team. Right. So, right. and so,
3: <laughs> and it worked out for him because Chris Boucher is doing well. Then, and then what do you know? Chris Boucher gets injured right before fantasy playoffs start. And that's why Henry and I picked up Ken Birch. So, that's the number one step to waiver wires um, injuries. When a player gets injured, someone has to take their place. It depends on each team because, like, say a player got like Curry gets hurt, you might say who's the who might benefit from that? Jordan Pool, and Andrew Wiggins, but they're not. It's not like a big like like every like that's a big replacement. Whereas a player like Chris Boucher gets hurt, Ken Burge instantly takes that role. A player like Kyle Anderson gets hurt, Brandon Clark instantly takes that role balanchunas gets hurt xavier tillman instantly gets gets that role like there it depends on the teams but usually when there's an injury it's worth picking someone up so injuries are the biggest one um two this is a lot less frequent but when a player when a team signs a player and um hopes the biggest example of that i think the scene has been kevin porter jr um obviously um had a rough ending to his Cavaliers career, um, him shouting and throwing chairs at the coaches in the locker room where, well, and the Rockets signed um, him to the G league. And when I saw that happen, I immediately put him um, on the watch, on my watch list. And now, obviously now he's, he still has those up and downs, which is to be expected. He does play a very high, high, high risk, high reward game, but what tracking, what um, teams do, especially it helped that the Rockets explicitly said um, our plans to develop Porter jr. To become our second, um, our second unit starting ball handler, right. When he was mostly a shooting guard, small forward on the Cavaliers, the Rockets explicitly said our plan for Kevin Porter jr. Is to play him in the G league, recall him and play him off the bench as our main um, ball handler in the second unit and that helped I mean, like in an 18 man league bench players are important like TJ McConnell off the bench huge absolutely huge probably I think the best I'd say the best point guard backup point guard an hour in fantasy basketball right now and well what do you know John Wall gets shut down for the rest of the season. Another in, like injury slash tanking. Oh, that's a big one too. Tanking teams. We I mean, we mentioned um, tanking teams too, but like on tanking teams, um, we can say the Raptors. Oh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, players that are good on those teams, such as Lou Dort. Lou Dort has taken a big step this season. Al Horford. Right? Solid fantasy players all year round. Teams are tanking. They shut them down. They rest them for random reasons. Same for the Raptors. Unfortunately, I have Fred Van Wliet, um, anybody that has Kyle Lowry, um, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam. They're the Raptors have straight up given up on their um season despite them not being barely being out of the uh, playing spot i believe but they've straight up given up so then also waiver wire late in the season is watching those tanking teams because when the teams are tanking then they're going to play somebody um ken birch has been doing great um for the raptors been doing great for my team so yeah so injuries tanking and yeah, those are, those are the biggest guides to waiver wires, I think. And then also players joining the team midway through the season, which is rare. But uh-huh.
1: I also wanted to ask, because given the, given the circumstances of the year, uh, I assume you had to deal with, with a few people out with COVID or something like that, just like mm-hmm. out of the blue, I don't know if you wake up, it's like a Sunday morning and it's like, Oh, you're mm-hmm. starting running back has tested positive for COVID. Like right. what was, what was the, what was the situation like that?
3: It was definitely worse earlier in the season because at that point, we didn't have the vaccine yet. Vaccines weren't really distributed. I remember uh, Jonas Valanciunas was out for a month and so was Kyle Anderson. So um, I don't know. They were out for a month because the NBA has actually pretty strict um, COVID guidelines where if you test positive, you're out for, I believe it's at least 10 days, 10 to 14 days. And then you need to get reconditioned because depending on how you how the virus affects you. And I'm guessing since Valanciunas took a month, he his conditioning wasn't up to par. which mean, he's a big man. He's a center. He doesn't run a lot. Makes that makes sense. But um, conditioning was a big thing. And I think Tatum was one of the biggest players to come out and say that he's still dealing with effects. And I mean, he didn't he didn't show anything tonight. He dropped sixty <laughs> points, but um, but he came out and said like. Um, COVID is affecting like breathing, the heart, like, like it's definitely like long-term and even like in terms of society we don't even know like what those longer term impacts of COVID might be. So I'm, I'm just praying that these athletes are okay because they're exerting themselves a hell of a lot more than like we are. So I'm just hoping they're okay. So yeah, definitely weird and definitely random. Like you can't expect like, like injury wise, you can watch the game. Someone tweets an ankle, goes to the locker room, you know, something's up. covid you don't know because you don't know what they're doing. You don't know who they meet. So it can come up at any time. So just definitely more random. And again, another long-term, basically I consider like a long-term layoff injury-wise if you test positive.
1: Mm-hmm. So, All right. It's at this point where, where to close off, I'm going to say that, uh, that Benny and I are both going to UT next year. And we've already made plans to, uh, to unite dynasties, I think would be the, the adequate word. Yes. Uh, not only in fantasy football, but also in fantasy basketball. Yes, we, we will. will be combining team Big Baller brand with team Trap squad. Yes, uh, yes. Benny, can we discuss the power dynamics on this podcast? So I feel I feel like I'm a good macro-level fantasy GM, whereas you're a better micro-level GM in terms of like running the waiver wire and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the waiver wire. That's my favorite
3: season of – fantasy sports ever um that, that's where that's where that's where championships
1: are made I think not not when you draft I personally think it's waiver water so. see that's interesting I think I think the draft is where teams can lose the championship right not where they can win the championship right I agree with that I would agree with that
2: yeah. <laughs> because
3: because what happens when you draft is you want to get players that aren't busts. We li- we play in a points league in basketball, which is offset. If it was a category league, there's at least a lot more openness for busts. I think in terms of category leagues, um, for those that don't know, categories is when. The, the like you count field goal percentage, free throw percentage, points, turnovers, rebounds, assists, like add up all those. And you, whoever has the most categories out of like eight or nine categories of the big NBA categories wins. Meanwhile, points league is just you make a bucket that's three points, you make a three pointer that's four or five points. Like you're just adding up the points in total. Um, in category leagues, John Morant has been a very big bust because of, it, because of his terrible shooting percentage, um, la- lack of free throw percent shooting, and also um turnovers right but in points leagues he's doing just fine right so that's a big thing to know so again going back to the draft thing when you um draft you want to get players that you think will be good for your format especially for your format um but again like i said injuries can happen right so then what what happens when a player gets injured you go to the waiver wire and that's that's why that's why i agree with sid's remark that you can lose in the draft but if you want to win that's the, the waiver wire is where you win so
1: i agree with that Absolutely, and we will be putting that that strategy to the test for the next four years. I I think at UT, we will uh, we will be running the show. I promise you, listeners, yes. we will win this league. Win. I don't yeah. I don't even know which leagues we're going to be in.
2: We will. Yeah, I don't
1: I don't even care
3: if it's a fifty man league. We're we're winning. I don't care if we have these retired players. We we will win. We'll figure
1: out a way. We will draft Dirk, and we will win. To exactly. all. The- to all the people at UT who are listening to this, like three months after we recorded, right. we will beat your team. We'll beat your team.
3: Like you, you don't need to set your lineup. I promise you
1: don't need to set your lineup. But. Thoroughly, We will thoroughly demolish your team. Sure. Yes. All right. On that note, on that happy, happy, happy note, Benny, I wanted to thank you for hopping on. Uh, it's, it's a late night, but nevertheless, you've made the time to talk fantasy sports because it seems like you always have time for fantasy sports. Uh, always, always. <laughs> take care get back to the waiver wire, and I'll see you around
3: okay thank you Sid. have a good night
1: make sure to keep an eye out for the rest of the end zone podcast coming out today it is end zone day and we've got a whole slate of 15 podcasts coming out today just hours upon hours upon hours of amazing audio so follow us on whatever podcast platform you're using so that you don't miss out if your platform allows you to drop a five-star rating leave us a review share with your friends share with your family share with the first five people you see even if they're strangers and know that i'll appreciate it other than that enjoy EndZone, enjoy the rest of these podcasts stay safe stay healthy and i'll see you around